our heart for you in this series and also in the summertime, you've heard me say this um, for a wealth of time now. If you're in sixth grade, this is the last couple of weeks you would have heard me say this. Uh, we want to see you grow in spiritual maturity. We want to see you uh, develop in spiritual maturity over the course of this summer. And so we're rolling out a few different series over the summer. On the weekends, we've got a great series uh, for you all. But also on the weekdays here, uh, we are going to look at what it means to actively pursue God. Now, I will say this as an addendum to that thought. Um, we want to see what it looks like to actively pursue God in a society that would suggest God is no longer active. I'll say that again. I'll say that again. I want you to get that. We want to look at over the course of the summer what it means and what it looks like to actively pursue God in a culture, in a society that would suggest that God, his word, the Bible is no longer living or active or relevant. And so uh, we want to stand out. We want to separate ourselves from what society, what culture would, say, uh, would suggest concerning uh, God's word. And so that's the heart this summer. Actively pursuing God. And, and if, if you want to hear my message in one line, if you just want to take the central thought away, if there's one thing that I want you to make sure that you write down, there's a few things I want you to write down, but if there's the one thing, that one central thought, everything you hear, everything that's going to encapsulate, embody this message tonight, it's this. God is what we need when we need it. And in response, he sent us just what we needed, Jesus. Sean ended his message last week with that thought. God is what we need when we need it or when we need him. But if we add an addendum to that, if we add an addition to that thought, I would suggest that this week in response to that, he sent us exactly what we needed, and that was Jesus. And so I'll pick it up here, John 1, verses 1 through 5. I want to read aloud. You guys can follow along with me. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14, I'm going to skip down. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to call this message tonight, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Last week we looked at who is God. This week we're going to look at who is Jesus. And I would put a subtitle on it. I would suggest this is Jesus. Let's pray as we learn about Jesus. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. I pray that each one of these students would really lean in and embrace and hear what you'd have to say tonight, Lord. I pray that they would understand what it means to grow in spiritual maturity as they pursue you relentlessly, seeking after you, fixing their eyes on you, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. As we learned about you last week and as we learn about you more this week and as we dig into more of who you are next week and all throughout the summer, what does it mean to pursue you? What does it look like? In the most practical way, Lord, I pray that this message will become, will become very real to these students. Move Darren out of the way. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would get in the way. You teach this message the way you desire to teach it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. If I was to tell you, if I was to tell you that over 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, someone decided to give you a gift that you didn't deserve, a gift without the need of payback or reciprocation, just simply a free gift 
given, yet you didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you, would that sound realistic? If I was to tell you that 2,000 years ago, or even long before that, this person existed before all of creation, before all things that were made were made, this person actually existed. And then 2,000 years later, this person would become a man. He would become flesh, as the word says, this, this person becomes flesh so that he would, he would be able to deliver you this gift. Would that sound realistic? If I was to go even further and say that, that there's a man that, that we come to know as Jesus Christ, and, and this man would die a brutal death on the cross, which is that gift that he gave to us. So that we could have eternal life and that he could effectively conquer and defeat death. Would, would you believe it? Well, here's the thing. Don't answer those questions because I've got the answer for you. You see, it's all true. Everything you just heard, everything that I just shared is true. And I would say to you tonight, listen to me, the only appropriate response, the only reasonable response to what you just heard, the fact that this man who was existing before time began and also as time began, he then was born and manifested into flesh 2,000 years ago that he might give you a gift that you don't deserve, but yet he gave it anyway as a result of dying on the cross that we might have eternal life. The only reasonable response is to pursue him with all of our heart with all of our soul. I mean, here's the deal, guys. If I was to make it more real to life, more to true to life, I love my wife. And, and in the dating stages, I pursued my wife. But my wife doesn't do remotely close to what Jesus Christ did to me. And if I could pursue her in the way that I did and, and still pursue her, then, then how much more should I pursue Jesus? And if I was to be even more transparent and if we were to just make it more practical and True to life. Some of you guys are pursuing things right now. Maybe it's the iPhone 6 or the next series of the iPhones. I don't know. You name it. You fill in the blanks. There's things that you're pursuing that would take the place of who you should really be pursuing as a result of what he did 2,000 years ago. The truth is, everything about us should say, I want to know this man. I want to know this man that thought enough about me that he would spin creation into orbit, that he would die for me, that I might have eternal life existing with him. And so the heart over the next 33 minutes and 15 seconds that you're listening to the sound of my voice is, is that you would understand the person of Jesus Christ. Not so much the characteristics, because if you were here last week, Sean, he uncovered the characteristics. He talked about God and, and the different names of God and, and those names and what they mean and, and who he is to us and how he's everything that we need exactly when we need it. No, I, I, I don't need to go into that because we know that. But what I do need to go into is, is this unique person, this threefold manifestation of Jesus Christ. You see, Genesis 1 says that he was there. At the very beginning. In the beginning, he created all things. And so, as Sean suggested last week, we're not here to try to build a case for Christ here. We, we, don't, we don't have to, to prove ourselves. Christ doesn't have to, have to prove himself. When, when someone says that they were there at the beginning and they created all things, for me, that's just, that's enough right there. In and of itself, if a person can speak something into existence, and then to add insult to that, go to the cross die and raise himself up, I'm listening to everything he's saying. Everything he's saying. And, and not only that, I want to get to know him. I want to know everything about him. 
I want him to be my friend and I want to be his friend. And so let's go to 1 John here. Let's unpack the first two verses. I'll put it up on the big screen for you guys as we discover a little bit more about the person of Jesus Christ and who it is we're pursuing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. And that line, in the most simplistic way, in the most very real way, rolls out for you the dual capacity. Now, we, we know that there's a, there's, a, there's a third party that we're going to talk about next week, which is the Holy Spirit. But, but we see that God, who we talked about last week, and Jesus Christ, who we're going to discover this week, are one. Don't ask me to explain it. It's right here in the Bible. It says that God was in the beginning. He created everything, and Jesus Christ was with him, and they were one. And so we see the existence of God before time. I'll be honest, if I was to be very, very transparent, and I, and I can because we're family, right? You guys aren't, aren't going to judge me. Um, and this is the living room. We don't call this a sanctuary. We're family. We, we have intimate conversations in the living room. Um, I, I felt so inclined to, to roll out this series over the summer, Relentless Pursuit, because I found myself becoming slothful, becoming somewhat of an individual that would take these truths for granted. Just keeping it real. Don't judge me. I, I found myself, if you would, um, taking for granted the magnitude of, of God. The larger than life, as a matter of fact, he is life aspect of God. And, and, and I saw a video and it completely flipped my perspective upside down. It, it, it woke me up. It, it literally rattled the core of my being. And I want to show you this video over the next three minutes here. I want you to watch this and I want you to see how big God is. And, and if this doesn't convince you that he's worth pursuing, then I don't know what will. So draw your attention to the big screen. This is what rattled the core of my very being. Check this out. What, what, what you're seeing right now. First of all, this is the earth. Okay, just, just you're taking off from the earth from Southern California, and we're going we're gonna to rise up for a little bit here. Okay, we're going to pull away from it. We're going to pull higher. Now, this is at about 10 kilometers. Like, if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the earth from that distance. Now, you're gonna, we're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the Earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the Earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay, there's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the past the moon, and uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. 100 million kilometers, you're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away, but now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun, now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now, we're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros, and the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away. Now you just see the sun 
with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go 1,000 light years away. At 1,000 light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it in this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about 100,000 stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. Um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. And you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy. And, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. If that doesn't rattle the very core of your being concerning the magnitude, the bigness of the God that we serve, I don't know what will. And a God that big, I need to pursue. And when I saw that video, it literally fueled the desire and awestruck and a desire. I don't know if you, you, you've ever been in awe before. Maybe, maybe you've seen a pair of shoes and you're like, oh. Or, or, or maybe, maybe just maybe you, you, you were in awe at the fact that the, the Cleveland Cavaliers made history this past week. Like they did something that could never be done and never was done, but yet they did it. And you were in awe as you're watching the magic of LeBron James and, and Kyrie Irving just take place before your eyes. That's, that's awe-inspiring. But that's a smidgen of what I felt and what I feel when I see something like that. And so when you think about pursuing God, when I, when I, when I try to encourage you to, to read your Bible every single day, when I try to encourage you to, to take notes during, during the studies, it's, it's simply because he's so big that he deserves everything that we have. And, and we're so small that we can't help but give him everything that we have. And so here's what I want to do. I want to roll out to you these three aspects these three manifestations of the person of Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus is pre-incarnate. Jesus is pre-incarnate. In other words, you saw the galaxies and the Milky Ways and all the clusters of stars. And, and Jesus actually existed with God during that time period. Before time was even spun into axis. Before anything even was a Called into existence before, before John 1 and 14 happened. In other words, it says, uh, and the word became flesh and the flesh dwelt among us. Before Jesus Christ became flesh and walked the earth as a man that he might die for us, he existed. Don't, don't make any mistake about it. Jesus Christ didn't just show up 2,000 years ago when he was born in the major. No, no, no. Jesus Christ, he's pre-incarnate. In other words, they call it in theological terms, if you were very, very uh, scholarly and you study God's word, you, you'd hear these two terms. It'd be a theophany or a Christophany. 
a theophany or a Christophany. That, those are two big words, particularly Christophanies. And, and, and basically, I know this is deep, but I need you to understand the magnitude of where we're going here and who we're studying and who we're pursuing. You see, these Christophanies, they, they, manifest, they, they, they manifest themselves as the angel of the Lord. If, you, if you're a student of the word, if you read the Bible, you, you'll see and you'll hear, hear this term, the angel of the Lord. And, and this term basically demonstrates the most common appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Again, don't just think that when you open up the book of Matthew where the gospels start and it rolls out for you the, the birth of Jesus Christ, that was when he arrived on the scene. No, no, no. You see, Genesis 16, write this down. You could read it for homework. Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, he appeared to a woman named Hagar or Hagar. Genesis 22, verses 11 through 14, write this down. Check it out for homework. I promise it's beautiful. The angel of the Lord, he, he appeared during the sacrifice of, of Isaac. Read that story. Uh, Exodus 3, Exodus 3, read this. Uh, it, it, it rolls all the way out through uh, Exodus 4. You'll see Jesus at the burning bush, the, the Lord, the angel of the Lord at, appearing at the burning bush. You'll also see in Judges 6, write this down, Judges 6, 11 through 24. Again, check it out for homework. The angel of the Lord, this, this Christophanes appearing to a man named Gideon. And then finally, you'll, you'll see here, just to name a few, Judges 13, verses 2 through 23. Write that down. Judges 13, verses 2 to 23. 2 to 23. You'll see the angel of the Lord, the, the, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Christ that existed prior to his becoming flesh. You'll see him appear to Samson's mother. And then also three times you'll see the pre-incarnate Christ appear as a man. As a man, as a, as a, as a human being, as a, as a man in the Old Testament, you'll see here, write this down, Genesis 18. He appears as a man to Abraham. Genesis 18. Write this down, Genesis 32. I know this is a lot, but write it down. This is good for you. Genesis 32, verses 30. He, he wrestles with Jacob. This Christophanies, Jesus Christ appearing in the Old Testament as a man. He wrestles with Jacob, Genesis 32. And then finally, it's, you guys know the story, Daniel 3. Daniel 3, verse 25. It's the fourth man in the fire, this manifestation of Christ. And so yet, again, please make no mistake about it. Christ existed way before the story of Mary and Joseph and this Christmas season story that we all have come to know. Secondly, I want to share with you Jesus Christ incarnate. Jesus Christ incarnate, write this down, and let's go to John 1, verses 14. I, I mentioned it before, but let's dig into it a little bit deeper. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Jesus Christ coming to earth as man. He's no longer a Christophanes. He's no longer an angel of the Lord. He is now this young child who was born of a virgin, and we'll dig into that a little bit. But we have seen his glory, and the glory of the one and only Son the Son of God, who comes or who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, here's a thought. Write this down. Jesus would be born for us that he might simply die for us. That's the only reason why he came. He would be born to die. He would live to die so that we might live. I'll say it again. Jesus would live to die that we might live. And we see this story, Matthew chapter number 1. Go there with me if you would. The birth of this Jesus incarnate as he comes 
into the earth as a human being. I'm going to read about eight verses here, so I want you to lean in, saddle up a little bit. But this is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Listen, it says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she being, and she will bring, rather, uh, forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, listen to this, he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it would fulfill which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And so we see Jesus arriving on the scene. Living that we might live. Living to die rather that we might live. And then we also see the death of Jesus. We see it take place after 33 years of him walking the earth perfectly in flesh. That he might be the perfect sacrifice for us. We see this death take place. And, and Luke 23 declares it this way. It says, Jesus called out with a loud voice. He's on the cross now. He's been beaten brutally. He calls out. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. John 19 illustrates it differently from a different perspective. He says it this way. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished? What was finished? Well, I said it. Jesus Christ was born to die. He, he lived 33 years to die that we might live. You see, Satan had a plot and a plan. And, and many, many, many years before the incarnate Christ came to be, sin entered the earth through Adam and Eve and the deception of Satan. And I've shared this before. Satan at that point thought he had our backs against the wall. He thought he had our backs against the ropes. And he thought he was going in for the knockout punch. But Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby, walked the earth 33 years with a plan. And that plan was to redeem us. That plan was to simply say, hey, I forgive you for all your sins despite what you've done, despite what you will do. I will go to the cross simply because I love you. It is finished. And he steps on the devil's head and defeats death. That's the incarnate Jesus Christ. But wait, there's more. As we close out, we don't just see Jesus Christ die. The story doesn't end that way. You see, Jesus Christ conquers death by rising up on the third day, returning to heaven after he reveals himself to a number of individuals just to make sure that they understood that he is the real deal. He is the man. And then he ascends into heaven. But we will now then see, and here's a promise, Jesus the coming king. 
Jesus, the coming king. And so here's the deal, guys. Here's the promise. You see, Jesus Christ will indeed come again. But the difference is when he was born, he was born a very humble, quiet birth, a very lowly birth. There wasn't any bells and whistles. There wasn't any great big announcement. There was just Jesus, a bunch of animals, and, and, and it probably smelled like animal, you know, stuff. And, 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 and that's what happened when Jesus was born, very lowly, very humble. Oh, well, but this time. This time when Jesus returns again, I can't wait. I get excited every time I read about this. You see, Jesus will come back as king. He's not going to come back as, as Joseph's son, the carpenter. He's not going to come back as this guy that was beaten and bruised and battered and humiliated on the cross. He's coming back as king. Acts 1 reads it like this. After he raised himself up, he, he was with the disciples, and it says they were looking intently up in the sky as he was going. In other words, he was ascending into heaven. And when suddenly two men dressed in white uh, stood beside them, he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, the promise is he's coming back. He says you don't have to get discouraged. You don't have to get sad. Jesus Christ promised you that he's coming back. And when he's coming back, he's coming back with all power in his hand. I don't care what culture says about how we should live. They could say the Bible is no longer active. When Christ comes back, he's going to shame all the naysayers. He's going to shut everything else down. And he's going to come with all power. In his hand. And that's something to get excited about. But then it says here in 1 Thessalonians, and I love this because this gets me even more excited. You thought that was something. It says, then they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and it went suddenly two men. Oh, nope, that's not it. Uh, Thessalonians says this, that he's, he's coming back. He's coming, not that, 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 that's a typo. He's coming back, actually, with a loud trumpet. Uh, the, a loud trumpet is going to sound. You see, and so, so even as he was, he was literally in, in, in the earth, as he was, he was in the earth, or as he came to the earth, rather, in a lowly, humble way, now there is going to be an announcement. Thessalonians says that, that there's, there's going to be a loud trumpet sounding, and there's going to be an army, and he's going to come back in a mighty, mighty way. But then Revelations closing it off, and we're going to land the plane here. Revelations gives us a beautiful illustration. It paints for us a, a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ as the king, the coming king. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. And Revelations solidifies that point. It points back to the fact that Jesus Christ, who was born, who was incarnate, is indeed coming back. He is the coming King. And we learned last week that God, he is, in fact, what we need when we need it. But he also responds by sending us just what we need. And that is Jesus Christ, our coming king. Let me pray for you guys.